into the lessons of what it means to restart, and we're looking at the book of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. And we learned last week that the book of Chronicles is written by a gentleman by the name of Ezra. He described himself as a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Be reminded that Israel had spent 70 years in exile in Babylon. Ezra teaches us scores of lessons from the lives of kings on what to do and what not to do when you get to do a do-over. Last week we looked at David and learned another lesson from his life, and that was one about faith. Uh, We learned that God will relent if we repent. Remember that takeaway? And that this idea of repentance involves us being sorry for what we've done wrong and turning towards what's right and giving something costly to God. It's about our sacrifice. Today we're going to look at another king at that time from Solomon and about his wisdom. We're going to jump into Second Chronicles chapter 1, but before we get there, I want to look at a teaching that comes to help set up this time from First Kings chapter 4. It's interesting in the scriptures that apart from Jesus Christ, Solomon, King Solomon was the wisest man in history. Now, let's look at what it says here about him. God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Hermon, Kalko and Darda, sons of Mahal, his reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and songs that numbered 1,005. He spoke about trees, about cedar in Lebanon, to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Emissaries of all people sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. That's out of 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34. When you study the life of Solomon, you quickly realize that he did a lot of things wrong. But Ezra is writing to encourage us. So he's going to talk about what Solomon did right. And what Solomon did right benefited an entire nation. What he did right started in his first year of his reign. And to be reminded, Solomon was replacing his personal hero, David. And David was, up to that point, the greatest king in Israel's history. As he thought out his, how he would begin his kingship, Solomon did something we might not have thought of. He went to Israel's holiest mountain. And it wasn't far from his home. He took with him a thousand sheep, goats, and cattle. And he built a fire on an altar and made a thousand animal offerings to God. You might scratch your head and ask the question like I did, why did he do that? And so let's read together why. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I should give you. And Solomon said to God, you have shown great and faithful love to my father David, and you have made me king in his place. Lord God, let your promise to my father David now come true. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people. For who can judge this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Since this was in your heart and you have not requested riches or wealth or glory or for the life of those who hate you, and you have not even requested long life, but you have requested for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king, Wisdom and knowledge are given to you. I will also give you riches, wealth, and glory, unlike that was given to the kings who were before you, or will be given to those after you. That's Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. 
Now, what's interesting here is Solomon was 14 years old when he did this. He wasn't the youngest king, by the way, to rule Israel. But whether you're uh, 7, 8, 14, or 40, becoming king is a pretty big assignment. It can be overwhelming, I'm sure. If you've ever felt small and helpless, if you could do the thing you were being asked to do, if you've ever wished your dad or somebody else was there to help you with this task that you've been given, you might know what Solomon was feeling that day. Solomon found himself at age 14 being responsible for caring for 2 million people who all needed leadership and they needed care and they needed protection. This was the biggest assignment of his life. So he makes the biggest sacrifice he can imagine. One after another, a thousand herd animals are slaughtered and hoisted onto this altar that he's built. One after another, and their ashes rise upwards towards God. Now, when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the idea of offerings, we see that there's several type of offerings. One of them was called the fellowship offering. And what a fellowship offering was is it basically you roasted a part of the animal to the Lord and you roasted the other part of the animal for yourself. And when your portion was cooked, just the way you, you liked it, you sat down and you ate it. You fellowshiped with the Lord, like a meal between two friends. There's the burnt offering. You ate nothing. You burned it all up. God got it all. The offering was totally consumed, symbolizing that you were giving everything to God. Now, in this case, Solomon's offering was a burnt offering. Solomon was saying, God, all I have is yours, and all I am is yours. A thousand times he said that. All I am is yours. And all I have is yours. All I am is yours. All I have is yours. And that evening, God came to him and asked, What should I give you? You can't outgive God, Solomon, God says. You've given me your best gift. What would you want in return? And it's interesting here, Solomon in humility answers, I only want one thing, Lord. I want the wisdom to be able to fulfill the calling that you've given me. It's the perfect request. Grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people of yours. I'm sure all of heaven it was anticipating God's answer. What will God say to this? How will he respond? Without hesitation, God, our gracious God, said, Solomon, since you've asked me for something that will benefit others and not for the things that will benefit you, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And I'm going to give you what you did not ask for. I'm going to shower you with riches and wealth and glory unlike any other king before you, he said. Ezra who is telling us this story, is teaching us a lesson. He's teaching us a lesson about rebooting our lives. What Ezra is saying is this, that the best way to have a fulfilled life is to follow God's purpose for your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things you're hoping for will be added to you as well. Now, for me, it was stepping off on this bike tour that I've shared about a couple times. In fact, this week is the 10th anniversary of when I ended that bike tour on a stage in Atlanta, Georgia, in front of 15,000 uh, church leaders from around the, the world, literally. It was the hardest three weeks of my life. It was the greatest time in which I depended upon God's provision as I stepped off on riding my bike the first day, 100 miles down a crazy highway. And yet how God showed up in that and that through the generosity of those people around me, people who, who wanted to support me. I, I joined a team and we raised over $50,000 for the tornado victims in Joplin and Tuscaloosa. And we shared our story there on that stage in Atlanta. In fact, check out this video. I, look, I want to 
continuing to do what we only do here so well and welcome the 13 riders who have ridden from Joplin, Missouri all the way to Atlanta. It really is a living out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which Jesus says to seek his kingdom first. And we're willing to lean into that. There's all sorts of benefits that will come to us out of our faithfulness to God. So back to this, the day of the sacrifice. Basically, Solomon was starting his life over. Once he was a prince, now he is king. A prince can play, but a king has to lead. So Solomon asks for this incredible thing called wisdom. Just to offer some distinction here, we know what knowledge is, right? Knowledge is knowing facts and figures and principles. Knowledge is really about information. But wisdom, on the other hand, is knowing what to do with those facts and figures and principles. It's an application of knowing what to do in every situation. And I'd encourage you later today, if you would, to take some time and read through the next eight chapters. And you'll see here in Second Chronicles some incredible things that happened as a result of the wisdom of Solomon. For instance, as we begin here in chapter 1, verse 14, Ezra tells us, Solomon accumulated 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, which he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Those numbers might not mean much to you, but I'm guessing that 1,400 chariots was a lot of chariots. When Pharaoh, you know, the story of Pharaoh and the Exodus, when his vast army came riding after Moses and the children of Israel, he only got 600 chariots. Solomon knew that if God blessed his country, he needed a strong military to defend it. The next verse says, The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar as abundant as sycamore in the Judean foothills. So we see here that Solomon knows how to generate wealth. And then reading on in chapter 2, it says, Solomon decided to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. So he assigned 70,000 men as porters, 80,000 men as stonecutters in the mountains, and 3,600 supervisors over them. So in Solomon's wisdom, Solomon knew the importance of having a place for people to worship God. Solomon also knew how to assign labor to build that place. So Solomon's wisdom endowed Israel with the most incredible temple of worship in the world. Then we get to chapters 3 and you go through 8 and they basically unpack how Solomon built the temple and how he fortified the cities of Israel and how he settled people in those cities so that all of Israel prospered. Let's take a look here in chapter 9. We see this. The weight of gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons besides what was brought by the merchants and traders. 
All the Arabian kings and governors of the land also brought gold and silver to Solomon. Okay, what's the, the point of all this? Well, what Ezra wants us to see is this. Wisdom is a great gift. And what do we see from that? Well, Israel experienced fantastic blessings as a result of Solomon's wisdom. That Israel as a nation became the wealthiest nation in the world. That her people, Israel's people, enjoyed safety on all their borders. And the whole world experienced blessing as a result of Solomon's prayers. Now, Solomon was wise enough to know that his wisdom couldn't accomplish everything. So this really, really wise guy spent some serious time in prayer, too. Chapter 6 of Second Chronicles includes an incredible prayer by Solomon. And we get to chapter 7, and it contains God's response to the prayer that Solomon prayed. And God's response may be the most famous response to a prayer that's in scriptures. Let me read it to you. I think it'll be familiar. So starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's a verse we all know, I believe, and I bet some of you may have even memorized it in some one way or another. It, it says again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So as we think about coming back to a new normal, whatever that's going to be, in a post-COVID world, I think it would be wise for us to do these four things, wouldn't you? One, when you humble yourself, you admit you're not big and you're not God. Two, when you pray, you talk to God about your hopes and dreams. Three, when you seek God's face, you think about him and you try to do your day with him so that his face and his thoughts are always with you and they are guiding you. Four, and to turn from your wicked ways means what? To turn from your wicked ways. To not offer excuses and say, well, everyone else is doing it, or, or what I'm doing isn't all that bad. It's to turn from those things that you know are wrong and to do the right thing. That's the key to healing our land. It's the key to recovering our well-being. It's the key to revival. Let me walk through it again. Number one, we need to humble ourselves. Two, we need to pray. Three, we need to seek God's face. And four, we need to turn from our wicked ways. So let me ask you a question. Who needs to do that in order for God to heal our land? Well, all of us do. We don't need to call for other people to turn from their wicked ways. God will not heal our land until he first has an army of healers in his hand. Let me say that again. God will not heal our land until he first has an army of healers in his hand. As we've looked at Solomon, under his wisdom, we know that Israel prospers. They have peace and hope, and they have a rising economy, and they have wealth. It's a time like never before, or literally ever since. So let's just unpack here what Ezra wants us to see. Ezra is teaching us a lesson about wisdom. If you want to start your life over and live at a higher level, we all need wisdom. You need wisdom. I need wisdom. And we know that wisdom is one of God's greatest gifts. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says in chapter 8, verse 11, Wisdom is better than jewels, 
and nothing desirable can equal it. No matter what you desire, money, sex, power, thrills, achievements, recognition, wisdom, he is saying, is better than them all. So if you want to recover well, or maybe your life didn't get shut down during this crisis, and you just want to live on a higher level, here are four steps that we're going to look at again that you can take to live a better life from this day forward. He says what? Number one, make a burnt offering. Declare a do-over by building an altar somewhere, maybe in your heart, and climbing onto it, literally. Offer yourself a thousand times over to God. Give him your possessions and your position. Give him your rights and your hopes. Give him your goals and your dreams. You simply say, Lord, here I am. All I have is yours, and all I am is yours. And then the second thing to do to, to live at a higher level is to ask God for wisdom. The book of James in the New Testament says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. You see, once you've asked for wisdom, continue to grow in wisdom. You do that by reading the book of Proverbs. Three, pursue wisdom by reading the book of Proverbs. The introduction to the book of Proverbs describes the book this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and direction to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. So here's the deal. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, which means, guess what? You could read the whole book in one month by reading one chapter a day. In fact, I bet you didn't know that Billy Graham did that for over 70 years of his life. Every day, you read the proverb of the day. Every month, you'll grow in wisdom. Again, we make a burnt offering, we ask for wisdom, we pursue wisdom, and then we walk in wisdom. How do you do that? Proverbs 13.20 says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. I know for me, in fact, I've just launched off into a cohort at Ashland Seminary that's talking about creating thriving churches. And I'm sitting in conversations with people who are not like me. They're in situations not like ours. But together, we're all trying to lean into what does it mean to be a pastor in a local church? Uh, one of the gentlemen that's in my cohort is in a youth pastor of a church in Cleveland with 4,500 members. But guess what? They have yet to return to in-person worship. It's all being done online. Others are working to try to understand ministry in a new context. And so what I've learned just in the three weeks that I've been in conversation with these amazing individuals has been a huge encouragement to helping me better understand, to live with wisdom on how to be what it means to be a pastor in today's post-COVID world. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you've given us in wisdom. We need more of it. We all do. We want more of it. And as we lean into this new season in a post-COVID world, would you give us the gift that is better than jewels? And as we pray, I want to pray for anyone who wants to make a burnt offering today. If that's you, would you pray these words after me? Lord, all that I am is yours and all that I have is yours. Please use my life to fulfill your purpose.
And I want to pray with anyone who wants wisdom. And if that's you, you could pray these words. Lord, I ask for your wisdom today. Give me the wisdom to know what to do in the situation I'm in and give me wisdom to carry out the calling you've put on my life. And then finally, the Bible says that Jesus is the author of all wisdom. If you've never surrendered your life to him, I invite you to do that right now. You can become a follower of his by praying this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I invite you to be mine. Come into my life and live your life through me. I'm committing to be your follower for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed one of those three prayers, would you let us know by clicking on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know that you prayed it and maybe how we could help you in the next step. And then one more thing I want you to consider in the week ahead. There's a link here in the worship notes for a Bible reading plan in the book of Proverbs. Would you join us in that? Each day over the next month, we're going to read one proverb together. So I hope you'll join in that experience as we learn together what the wisdom is for us in that day. And there's a way in the plan that you can actually share what you're learning. And I hope you'll do take time to do that too. But in all these things, we pray it together in the strong name of Jesus. And we say, Amen. Let's continue with music as we worship. <laughs>